Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, the first actual episode of Easy Therapy Solutions. Um, so usually I would talk about, I say usually, this is the first episode, I would want to talk about things that are occupational therapy related and what we can do to help people across a lifespan. Um, but right now I'm going to talk about kind of the first post that I had put up on my blog on WordPress under Easy Therapy Solution Occupational Therapy. Um, and the early days of COVID, uh, from an occupational therapy perspective, I am still am technically a certified occupational therapy assistant, and I was working in a skilled nursing facility full time. Uh, when COVID hit in uh, the east coast of the United States, uh, I I believe I may have been the second or third person in my building to test positive for COVID. And so by the time I returned, most of the staff were out with COVID and lots and lots and lots of patients had COVID. Um, and there was the, there was the bureaucracy of the business and trying to figure out what are we going to do and what's the plan. But then there was also the, the, the bureaucracy of our government. Like nobody knew what to do. Nobody knew what was going on and everybody had different rules. That was the biggest problem. And it's still the biggest problem is that people have different rules and different um, regulations. You know, every day I joke and say, well, COVID's always changing. Yeah, COVID's changing, but the people who make the rules are changing things too. And they're changing things consistently without educating the public. And... I feel like there's a barrier between educating the public and over-educating, right? Because you don't want to try to educate the public on something that's too scientific. It's too complex um, because you'll make a lot of people just angry. A lot of people just don't understand a higher level of thinking. And that is totally okay. We need all different walks of life in order to succeed on this planet we need all different types of people to work all different types of jobs. There are so many things that I cannot do in my day-to-day. -day. Um, for example, carpentry. I mean, I'm a guy, but I've tried to cut wood. I've tried to frame a door. Miserable. I am terrible at it. I'm. It's just not my, my niche. It's not my thing. Um, and occupational therapy was my calling, and it is my thing. And so there was, there's been these times working in skilled nursing and working in the geriatric population that you, I get to see people at the end of their life at times. Um, and across all the people that I have seen towards the end of their life, they don't, they're not, they're not scared of dying. They just don't want to be alone. Most of them, a majority of them. Um, it doesn't seem scary. Uh, and from my point of view, most people who are dying appear to be at peace. People in general prefer to see their family so that they can say their goodbyes. They want to see their family one last time before they move off of this world and off to wherever it is. Whatever you believe in, whatever you want, that's where people are going, right? Right. Until 
this horrible virus just swept the globe. And I think it put a lot of people, whether you're a nurse, a doctor, but from a therapist perspective, you put us in, it put us in an awkward situation because we have to be empathetic and do what's called building rapport with clients uh, to develop unique therapeutic relationships. Rapport is like um, building trust with somebody. But all of that had to change. It changed overnight. Hospitals and skilled nursing facilities began limiting and excluding all types of visitations. So my intellectual and emotional well-being began to just overload as each client I treated passed through my mind. It was it was just an overwhelming feeling. Uh, their wet coughs eventually turned to labored breaths. And each person I watched die felt like another kick to my stomach. With no one to say goodbye to each patient, it was my hope I could help a few to rest and allow them to pass without any fear. I just wanted people to be comfortable. I wanted them to have the best quality of life for that moment, um, which was extremely difficult. And you see, before COVID-19, I saw that there was some peace in death. But during COVID-19, I saw a lot of fear as patient after patient after patient drowned and suffocated in a room alone. There was this one woman, uh, she talked to me on the phone. So the nurse that was filling in at the time, uh, she, she wasn't a full-time nurse. Um, and she was like, this patient's daughter wants to speak, uh, speak to you. Uh, sorry, not patient's daughter, patient's niece. And I said, sure, you can give me the phone. She said, well, listen, if I could just see her, she would get better. This is what the niece was saying. She said, let me speak to her on the phone. End quote, right? So I, I give the phone to the patient. I'm not really giving the phone to the patient. I'm holding the phone to the patient's ear because this patient is so weak. She cannot lift her arm to her ear. She can't open her eyes. Her breathing is extremely labored and wheezy. Uh, you can see a lot of fluid starting to hear a lot of fluid. Sorry, not so much see, but hear a lot of the fluid building up in her upper respiratory area. Um, and so they spoke briefly on the phone, um, and the patient did appear to hear her loved one's voice. Uh, she opened her eyes a bit. She became more alert. She tried to cough. Um, and as the niece kind of spoke to her, she just kind of seemed to get that moment of peace. And um, finally, when I heard the niece stop talking, I brought the phone back to my ear. Um, and she was crying and she was like, you know, I think she'll be okay. She just really needed to hear my voice. You know, I said, that's okay. You know, you have a, you know, have a nice day, whatever. We're trying our best to take care of her. And I look at the patient and you could just see she was slipping right into death right after that phone call. Um, and so the nurse that uh, was present came by um, and declared her deceased. And so um, what I did th then, what I did then, excuse me, was uh, clean her face and cover her with a blanket uh, to try to make her as comfortable as I could, whether she was deceased or not, just kind of respect that person. Um, you know, a lack of staff in the facility and in the morgues only made matters worse. But like, what can you do? Who's cooking? Who is cleaning? Who's providing therapy? Who's helping people bathe and dress? Who's giving people medications? Who's getting them stronger? Who's getting them to walk? 
Who's getting them to use the bathroom? But what do you do when nobody's there to help them, right? It becomes very, becomes a dilemma, right? Almost ethically uh, for a lot of situations. You know, a lot of situations where I was like, this is an ethical dilemma. You know, in uh, in the state of Massachusetts, you need, you need uh, orders put into your computer for a lot of things so that when the state comes by, if someone's wearing like a wrist brace, for example, they can say, do they have an order for that brace? So is there a doctor's order? Is there a nurse's order? Who who put in the order so that this person can have this? But during COVID, like there were times where you were just trying to find out how can I make people as comfortable as I can? Um, how do I do no harm? You know, how do I make their quality of life good without hurting them? Um, because it became a huge, huge dilemma. Uh Thankfully, going to grad school opened up my mind a bit more that I wasn't alone. Many of my peers, um, in order to get into the program that I have been in, you have to be a occupational therapy assistant first in order to get into the OT program. Um, and that is at the New England Institute of Technology in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. And though I like that they do that, we can talk about that in a later episode, um, Meeting all of those people and seeing that they were having the same exact problems and the same stories from across the nation. People in New York, New Jersey, California, Texas, Hawaii, Florida, Tennessee. I met these people from all over. And they all had the same exact story that I did. You know, I'm facing an ethical dilemma. You know, and my dilemma is that I need to get people as comfortable as they can. I need to get them healthy and still do therapy. But how do I do that when there's no other staff, when I'm the only one here? Um, who's feeding these people? You know, I can't feed 20 people at the same time. Well, now all these people's, their, their breakfast is cold. Well, now it's breakfast and it's 11 o'clock. How are we going to feed them? You know, there was a lot of these uh, significant dilemmas. And so this was just the start of COVID when it kind of came in and was really kind of killing everybody. This like big wave of anybody who was weak, anybody who had comorbidity were pretty much getting just swamped and killed. Not that that's gone away because we're still seeing people die. Uh, thank God, you know, there's some sort of vaccination that's out there. There's questions amongst healthcare professionals in that aspect too, um, as to how we deal with the situation now. But, as for that time at the beginning, just going room to room, day to day, patient to patient, you know, I knew all of their names and I heard their stories and I listened and I watched and I talked. I held their hands regardless of who they were, um, whether they had COVID or not. Um, well, actually, this is bad. It sounds like I'm spreading COVID, right? So <laughs> I should, should totally correct myself here. So at the time, um, and I'm not an epidemiologist, uh, and I'm not a person who specializes in infection control, though basic infection control practices, wear a mask, wear your shield, wear your goggles, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Okay, those are big things. But like if somebody had COVID, I wasn't afraid to hold their hand. I wasn't like, you know what? I can't touch you. Um, at the time I was like, I am going to hold this person. I am going to help them. Um, and at the time, 
at the beginning of COVID, there were no rules. People had no idea what was going on. And a lot of places weren't separating people. If somebody was positive, they were in a room with people who didn't have COVID yet. It, nobody had any idea what was going on. And half the time, people didn't know someone had COVID until it was too late. It was chaos. But each of those patients, at the end of the day, always said the same thing. They said, thank you. And hopefully, uh, I made their last days as if it was with their family. You know, I may have not been their family, but hopefully I made them feel not alone. And the thing about being an occupational therapist and getting to improve people's quality of life and help them. That was my dog. My dog is growling next to me. She's uh, sleeping at this time of deep conversation and, and empathy. Right. So, but uh, being an occupational therapist, being an occupational therapy assistant, we're not the only ones. Nurses, doctors, physical therapists, physical therapy assistants, speech therapists, they saw it too. They've been there. And they're still there. Respiratory therapists, right? All these people in the hospitals that we forget about. The uh, the unspoken heroes, right? The, the, the people who come in to help clean. People who come in to cook, people who are doing the dishes in all these facilities, thank you. You know, you guys are unsung heroes and people don't talk about it. But they saw it too. They had to be there. They had to see it. They lived it. And that is COVID in the early days um, from an occupational therapy perspective. So that's kind of what's uh, what's going on going through my mind. So I, um, I appreciate you if you're listening. Appreciate you coming around. This is really the first episodes beside first episode besides my introduction episode. So this is all about COVID in the early days. You can check out my uh, my blog about occupational therapy, the Easy Therapy Solutions Occupational Therapy at WordPress.com. Um, I'm also under the alias Tiny Llama. Tiny Llama Three is the one who is writing occupational therapy, uh, easy therapy solution, because Tiny Llama is another blog that I run that is poetry and short stories. So uh, feel free to check that out if you're interested, but if not, you can just stick with the occupational therapy and uh, stick around with me for easy therapy solutions. In the future, we'll talk a little less dark and a little bit more light, a little bit more about what can occupational therapy do for you. Um, maybe we'll be talking about it uh, therapy dogs at some point in the next few episodes, um, how that works, how you can get certified and how you can do the right thing. Um, and we'll talk about how we help people from infants to geriatrics and what those interventions entail. Um, we are a holistic evidence-based practice, helping people solve everyday problems. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time.